to share. So I would be remiss if we didn't open the word briefly at least. And before he left, Dwayne said, make sure you open the word when you guys gather. So um, I want to be able to him to know that we did that. But we're, so we're going to go to Philippians 3 briefly. If you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 3. And I go there for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because there's some fantastic stuff in there. But this book, ever since early last year, I keep coming back to this book. Um, Philippians 3 uh, is where God led me to speak to uh, a baccalaureate last year, uh, summer worship university and some other things through the summer, um, a super summer actually, I, I lead worship for super summer with Phil Nelson teaching, we went, <clears throat> we went through the whole book of Philippians, in fact I still have, we made these phylacteries, a phylactery in the Old Testament is what they would tie to their heads and their arms, and tie the word of God literally attach it to their foreheads, we made some that were kind of secret church style, it looked like a pill bottle, so we were doing secret church, so nobody would know what was in there. And inside there was an entire copy of the book of Philippians that we printed real small and put in there. And now in our small group on Sunday mornings in the collegiate group, we're going through Philippians again. So I came back to Philippians 3. So he said, well, do, a, do a Devo style. I don't want to do a full message. I could do that, but I, I know what time it is. So I, w- I want to look at Philippians chapter 3, and I want to go to verse 12. This was kind of the focal point uh, when the first time I went through here. These verses jumped out. Now, they're familiar but as I was studying through them, some things jumped out. So from a, from a kind of short, devotional, practical, helpful approach to these texts, I think there's some things that we can take home with us, uh, uh, take home with us through tonight. So let's start in verse 12, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already, already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. That You could add a yet right there. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. If anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now remember where he's just come from. If you know this chapter, this is the chapter where Paul talks about all of his accomplishments. And he makes... He's, he lists those things not from a standpoint of bragging, but he's pointing out because one of the things he's dealing with, he's dealing with the same thing here that he's dealing with in the book of Galatians, although in Galatians he's doing it a lot more aggressively, you could say, is the idea, and Dwayne has been hammering away at this in the pulpit, is the idea that we can earn God's favor. We can earn a way to heaven, that we can earn salvation. You cannot do that. It's not possible. God gives favor. Right? That, that's how it works. God saves us. We can't earn our way to Him. Right? And that's what he's defeating here. And his point is, if anybody has reason to put confidence in their flesh, in what they've accomplished, it's me. And he lists up in verse, I believe it starts in verse 4, uh, he's, or verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he was a Jew of Jews, right? Um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only was a Jew, he was from a special group. As to the law of Pharisee, he was educated, well educated. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. His religion could not be doubted by those who watched. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now that's quite the claim. Nobody could look at his life and find fault in terms of him keeping the rules, right? Um, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, what he would argue, what Paul would argue is that doing, bad, doing good things and striving to live the life God wants us to live is not a bad thing, but don't put your eggs in that basket when it comes to when you stand before God. 
You put that, Dwayne would point this direction, he would say, you put them at the cross, is what he would say, right? So he makes that whole point uh, in verse, um, verse uh, 9, verse 8. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything, all of those things as lost, and count them as rubbish, as garbage. Uh, I count them as lost for the sake of Christ. I'm out of order. Hold on a second. <laughs> I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, even though if anybody would have had it, it would have been him, but having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he was giving his accomplishments, making the point there, if anybody could have earned it, it would have been me, but I couldn't and neither can you. We need to depend on Christ. But in verse 12, and looking ahead in those next few verses, he wants to make the case that we should still continue to press. Um, some of the great reform preachers would call this the pursuit of holiness. We should pursue holiness in our lives. The difference is this. We can't pursue positional holiness because only God can give that. Colossians, early on in Colossians, when God said, when Paul said there, you were once alienated, enemies of God, but he has reconciled you through his body of death so that you may stand holy and blameless. There's only one person who should be able to stand holy and blameless, and that's Jesus, right? So not only does he take our place, I'll do what Dwayne does, at the cross, he gives us our place before God as righteous and holy and blameless, right? But we should pursue a practical holiness. And otherwise, in other words, this. Not only have I already obtained this, and I'm already, I'm not only have I, okay, slow down, David. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, to make that holiness my own. Because, that word changes everything. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So when you take out of your theology, in order that I can be right with God, or, and replace it with because he's made me right with God, it changes everything. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can clarify that. When you take out of your theology so that I can be right with God and go to heaven, I'm going to do this. And you change that to because he has made me right with him at the cross, I'm going to do this. It changes everything. Now, there's four things in terms of a practical application that I want to go through real briefly. And these are the things that, 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 yeah, God gave them to me, I think, for baccalaureate. But I keep going back to these things every time I go through this passage because they're just so... They're just so solid. Five things I want to quickly draw out that I think are helpful and practical to believers. One is remember whose you are. And that's right where we just ended. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right? We were just talking about that. You can't earn the favor of God. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. If you've trusted in Christ, it's because he has given you favor to do so. And you've, you've responded to that in faith and in repentance. In other words, you don't get the credit. Right? God gets all the credit. That's because he did it all. He gets all the credit for our faith because he did it all, right? Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died on the cross that we all owe to God. Jesus rose in victory from the grave, and he works in the heart of those who trust him. So, no matter, so what we do, no matter what it might be, we can't attempt to do it to get... It's the way I keep going back to, to, to say it this way. When we replace the so I can be with because I have been made, I want to live a good life. It changes, it changes everything. But as we're pressing 
and we're facing life's difficulties, remember whose you are and the fact that you don't face whatever it is on your own because Christ Jesus has made you his own. Right? Second, never arrive. Never arrive. Paul says this, I do not consider that I have made it my own. You could say, I do not consider that I have yet made it my own or already made it my own. He's talking about it. He still wants to press. He has not yet arrived. In other words, never come to a place where you think you have it all figured out. Uh, I gave testimony to All Star on the first day. And um, one of the things that I said that, again, keeps coming back to me for some reason is people, especially for some reason, tend to put pastors in a category where, uh, you, man, you guys, are, you guys are the supermen. You guys have it all together. Let me assure you I do not. And there's one sitting to my left who will agree, no, he does not. <laughs> don't say a word. <laughs> no, we don't, right? And that's what we as pastors and Dwayne and Brent, we'd say to you, we haven't got it figured out yet either. Thankfully, we serve the one who does. But never come to a place where you think you have arrived, spiritually speaking or in any other, any other application. Never get to the place where you're satisfied with where you are in Christ. There's always, there's always more to learn of Him, more to experience Him. There's always more to do for Him. Now, that doesn't mean contentment is a bad thing. Paul talked about learning to be content whether he was in hunger or in plenty, whether he was cold or warm, whether he was starving or full. Right? Paul talked about that. But no wise man ever really thinks he's learned all there is to learn or done all there is to do. We always have further to go. Room for improvement, the way my dad used to say. There's always room to, for improvement. There's always a way you can do it better. Uh, Paul knew he had further to go. Now, remember where he was writing Philippians from. Philippians was being written from Rome, most likely, in jail towards the end of his life. But even there, he knew he had more to do. That's why he was writing the letter in the first place. He wasn't dead yet, so he still had work to do for Christ. We just saw in the first part of that chapter, Paul had accomplished a great deal, right? But he kept two things in mind about them. One, they were good things, but they were nothing compared to knowing Christ. Number two, because of what Christ had done for him, he still had more to do for Christ. So never, never arrive. Never feel like you have arrived, spiritually speaking or any other way. Number three, don't be ruled by your past. Look at the next little phrase there. He says... I need a new pair of glasses. Let me find it. <laughs> I do not consider that I've made it yet my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That is, those four words are so important. Forgetting what lies behind. Now, again, Paul had some very good things on his resume, right? Some very good things. So we see those, phrase, those phrases, and we immediately turn to, like, the bad things in our past, right? But that also can apply to good things if you're hanging on to the good things for the wrong reasons. He had some very good things on his resume. But you also recall that Paul also had some very bad things. What was his job before God saved, before Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus? Killing Christians. He, he had some very bad things in his resume as well. I wonder, and I often have this thought about Paul, I wonder, when, when, when he's alone kind of by himself in the dark and the enemy comes and he reminds him of who he was before Christ, I wonder if those things haunted him because they would haunt me. But even with that weight, Paul uses those four words, forgetting what lies behind. He knew that his good past and his bad past didn't have to rule him. Let me put it this way. Do not ever, no matter whether you're young or a lot further down life's path, 
Don't allow yourself to be dulled by your successes or defeated by your mistakes. Right? A proper perspective on our past, we look forward. Uh, and I would say number four would be have the right goal. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Uh, and I notice I use the word have the right goal. Now, goals are, are a good thing. Goals are useful. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm on a, another, uh, I want to say another health kick. It's trying, I'm trying not to make it a health kick. I'm just trying to take care of myself. But I'm trying to, yet again, for the time I've lost count, I'm trying to lose a couple of pounds. <laughs> but goals are good, and goals are helpful. But for a believer, the ultimate goal should always be to honor Christ. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made you his own. Now that can look, what do we have, 100 people here tonight? That can look 100 different specific ways in your life and where you are. Whether you're in the coal mines or in an office or in a classroom, Right? That can look specifically different ways. But our goal, our ultimate goal is always the same. It's like I used to say a few years ago when the, what was the Rick Warren book that came in? Purpose Driven Life, right? And he was talking about this thing, finding the way God manifests in your life. The way I always fleshed that out was this way. I, I may not know, be able to look at you and tell you where you fit in God's plan specifically, but I can tell you without a doubt what your purpose is as a believer. That's to know Christ and make him known. That's your purpose. Whatever that looks like in your life, that's your purpose. And if your life doesn't look that way, you probably need to make some adjustments, whatever that's going to look like. So the right goal is to honor Christ. No matter what your vocation is, we're having this conversation a lot now. He's in his first year of college, right? And you're continually going back there. And this is what I tell Is this not what I tell you? Whatever your degree is and what your job winds up be, just honor Christ through that. If it doesn't honor Christ, don't do it. Also, if you don't enjoy it, don't do it because I've been down that road. Right? And the last one is this. So let me go back to our points just real quickly, and I want to wrap it up. One, remember whose you are because Christ has made you his own. Never arrive. I do not consider yet that I've made it my own. Don't be ruled by your past, forgetting what lies behind. Have the right goal, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal uh, for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Number five, never forget where you came from. He finishes this little block of text with only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now that's a common saying, right? That's a common thing. Never forget where you come from. And in every context that that's applied to, it's, it's, it's helpful. That's a good, wise saying. Whether it's a, a bad past or a good past, you don't want to forget where you came from because where you have come from has made you who you are in this moment and has shaped you for whatever God wants to do in this moment. It, that has something to do with it. Don't stay there. You can't live there. You certainly don't want to go back there. But that's part of who we are, right? I had a, a, a former youth group. Uh, one of the kids was the valedictorian in his class. And in his speech, he said this. And I wrote it down. I've never forgot it. You'll never move forward from where you are until you decide where you would rather be. It came from a high school senior. That's, that's powerful stuff, right? And it's a lot like this. Here's the thing, and I think you know where I'm going with this, because, again, specifically that can mean a hundred different things, because we all have somewhat differing pasts. Our stories are the similar. You heard me say about Andrea this morning. She shared her story, but that was not only her story. There's other people in our fellowship that have similar stories, right? But we all have our pasts. But for the believer, this is what that means. Before Christ, you were dead. You were without hope. 
You were without life. You had one destiny, and that was eternity apart from Christ, apart from God, in a place called hell. And God brought you from there and gave you life and forgiveness and mercy and everything that goes with that. For the believer, whatever else goes on in your life, that's where he has brought you from. And no matter what you're dealing with or where you're at uh, on your spiritual walk, never forget, never lose sight of, again, I'm going to do what Duane would do, never forget the cross, never forget what he has done for you. He gave you life. And because of that, go back to point one, because Christ Jesus has made you his own, you owe him everything. Never forget where you came from. And where you came from was death. Lest we make the mistake, lest we make the mistake of thinking that I, I came to Christ on my own or, or I forget where I had this conversation, but where, you know, I grew up a church kid. And I, I did grow up a church kid. But those of us that have grown up in the church and been Christians a long time, we are particularly vulnerable to a particular kind of error that gets in our minds and says, you know, God probably didn't have to reach as far to get me as he did that other guy. Right? I mean, that, that seeps into our thinking. But here's the thing. If you were dead, dead is dead. And a dead man cannot save himself. Why? Because he's dead. Because <laughs> he's dead. That is where Christ has brought you from. So never, ever, ever, ever lose sight of that. For the one who knows that they've been rescued by death, by the one who alone can rescue from death, these simple points of application mean so much, so much more than their wherever else point of application. So my hope is that just a real brief look at Philippians and those four things can just be a helpful and a reminder to us about, about what Christ has done for us and how we can apply it no matter where we are. I hope that's been helpful for you. Brief look, but a helpful look, I hope, nonetheless. Let's pray together and then we'll go home. God, thank you, Father. I'm going to start right where we finished. Thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came down from heaven and took on human form to die a death that we owed to a holy and just God. You died for us. You brought us from death to life, from darkness to light, from judgment to forgiveness. And only you could have done that. Let that one thing fuel and inform and shape everything we do and say and think. And when we don't do it right, when we, when we get off track, when we sin yet again, let it, let it shape our repentance and come right back to you again. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Thank you for what you have done for us. And let your word again shape how we live our tonight and our tomorrow and the rest of our life. We'll give you thanks for it. Pray for our students as they're skiing tonight. We pray that Lord, we come back, everybody's safe this time around. We pray for Duane as he's preaching tonight and on his way back tomorrow. And we pray for us, Lord, that as we go into our tomorrow, uh, Lord, that you'll be God and that we'll just see you work. So we give all this to you for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey,